Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 205. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. Someone came into the Cantankerous Catholic studio today, and I think six-pack warriors need to meet this superhero among superheroes. The interview begins right after the commercial. If you own a website that generates revenue for you, directly or indirectly, according to a recent Supreme Court ruling, you must be compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act or ADA. If you're not compliant, the government can fine you $50,000. Slip and fall lawyers are scouring the internet for non-compliant websites to sue on behalf of disabled clients for tens of thousands of dollars. One disabled man has filed over 800 lawsuits against non-compliant site owners. 
There were over 10,000 suits filed in 2020, but that number grew to 100,000 in 2022. Once they file suit against you, the government will definitely fine you, and there's no way to win against the fines or suit. You simply have to settle. Getting your website ADA compliant is very expensive. The minimum I've seen charged for this service is $4,000, but I've seen as much as $15,000. Well, I've learned how to make websites ADA compliant. If you want your website ADA compliant and avoid lawsuits and fines, as well as help finance this apostolate at the same time, for you six-pack warriors, I'll only charge $1,000 for full compliance. The $4,000 minimum charged by other ADA compliance consultants will only keep you from being fined. It takes full compliance to keep you from being sued, but that costs from eleven dollars to $15,000. Again, I'll do full compliance for any six-pack warrior for only $1,000 or $100 a month. Just click the link in my show notes on cantankerouscatholic.com and we'll get your site ADA compliant. Get compliant or risk lawsuits and fines. Due to the length of this episode, I'm not going to make any commentary before or after this interview. When the interview is over, we'll transition into the Sacred Heart Winds with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Six-pack warriors, guess who we had come to the Cantankerous Catholic Studio? This guy is a cape crusader with mask and outfit as well. His name is YG Nightstorm. His last name is spelled N-Y-G-H-T-S-T-O-R-M. Okay, he's not really a superhero with a mask and cape, but he is a superhero nonetheless. What makes him a superhero? Well, YG is a triple threat to leftists, also known as the Demonic Democrats, because he's black, he's conservative, and he's Catholic. Actually, he's a quadruple threat because he's not just a Catholic, but a convinced Catholic who's an adult convert. YG, welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much, brother. I am honored to be here on this show, and as it's about time we were finally able to, to connect with each other, man. I know life has been happening, and uh, we now in the swell at the uh, getting close to the end of the year. But man, I tell you, man, uh, life is life is good when I'm talking to you, brother. Life is good. <laughs> well, thank you, YG. I've I've wanted this to happen for a long time. I've had about two months of Mondays. Uh, so that's been the biggest reason we've delayed, but I have been looking forward to this chance to have you on the show for a while. So let's dive right in. I doubt that most of the six pack warriors know who you are. Please tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, and what brought you into the public eye. Well, I will tell you this, all of this starts back in the year 1992. I was, uh, coming out of high school and I was actually homeless, uh, sleeping on the streets of Atlanta. I was beaten up, robbed, and uh, literally urinated on, shoes and socks taken. And like most people came from a very broken, broken household. Uh, dad was gone. And because I looked like dad, mom, uh, honestly, she loved me, but she couldn't stand me because I looked just like my father, the person that she hated. <laughs> so it was like hell every single day. And it was actually safer for me to be out on the streets than at home with mom. 
And I know a lot of people feel that way sometimes when they're leaving home and they have, you know, some contentious issues with parents, especially parents who are at war with each other and they bring the children into it. But yeah, I was out there homeless, man. And I had, I hated God, man. I I felt that I was slighted. I felt like uh, God had abandoned me. I felt like, you know, because my dad wasn't around, even though he was a veteran, served in the military bravely, you know, he could save everybody else but his own kid. You know, I didn't get that love and nurturing from my mom. Being homeless, I was also sexually assaulted uh, by a Catholic man in 1985 when I was 11 years old. So I just hated everything about faith, everything about religion, everything about structure, everything. Uh, But right when I was about to give up on life because I said, God, you know, I hate myself and I'm just going to end up killing myself. Um, if there's something that you need from me, you need to show up and do something, you know, let me know that I have some kind of worth, some kind of value, uh, with you. And right when I was about to give up and I know this sounds cliche, but it is what it is. This white Rolls Royce pulls up next to me and it was an old man, old white guy, baby, in, you know, 70 years old, all of five foot three and nothing gets out this car and walks up to me. Didn't care what my skin color was. Didn't care. He just said, you all right? I said, no. He said, well, I want to let you know we got a lot in common. I said, what the hell we got in common? You are rich. You are white. You are driving a half a million dollar Rolls Royce. Uh, The tires on that car cost $30,000 a piece. I know all about it because I know cars. Uh, But I'm black. I'm broke. I'm busted. I'm homeless. What what do we have in common? (laughs) And uh, he said way back in the day, you know, uh, 40 to 50 years prior to that, he lived in Chicago and he was homeless. Uh, got kicked out of his mother's house, and a black man in a Studebaker pulls up next to him, gets out the car, walks over to him, prays over him, and says, you know, God loves you, now go forth and make a difference. Now, fast forward back to 1992, that was me on the street, and he's over me, and he sees that my socks were taken. He takes off his pair of Argyle socks that he had on his feet, slid them on my feet, prayed over me, and he said, as sure as these socks cover your feet, God's going to cover your life. Now go forth and make a difference. And that point in my life changed everything about how I saw the world, how I saw the country, how I looked at race relations, that, you know, about all this racism stuff that, w- that was going on because the Rodney King riots that happened, you know, a little bit previously to that. It showed me that God loved me. And God doesn't care about skin color and people who love God and honestly love this country really don't care about skin color either. This is about the faith. This is about walk. This is about service. And this is about taking care of people and standing for folks and being the voice of others who cannot speak. And that's how my whole career got launched. I got into security, uh, protecting people, doing extractions overseas, working side by side with with special forces, uh, helping people get out of sex trafficking, helping single moms whose uh, families have been targeted by gangs to be killed uh, because the the children saw crime and the gangs were trying to kill them, getting them to safety. And overall, brother, standing for the faith. And it ignited me. And I haven't looked back since. And uh, all the congressional stuff will come a little bit later. But uh, that's me in a nutshell, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't soft soap anything on my show. Wasn't it a priest who abused you when you were a kid? Well, I didn't know exactly if it was a priest or not. It could have been a priest. It could have been a deacon. I just knew it was somebody in Catholic leadership uh, that did it. And basically, he told me that, you know, not to tell anyone. 
And if I told anyone that God would dispatch angels to kill me and my mom in our sleep, wherever we are in the world. And I, I trusted them. I mean, because this was a camp and uh, they're very, very good at picking out kids who come from broken families. Uh, he knew that my dad wasn't around. He was very, very good at teaching, teaching us how to canoe, teaching us how to survive in the wilderness, you know, building our confidence up and then uh, building our trust for him up. And then on the last day of camp, that's when he took advantage of me and, uh, and, and took my power away from me. And, and at that point, you know, from that age all the way up to 18, uh, living on the streets, I hated the Catholic Church. Uh, I hated everything about God, but I'm so glad that God is the way he is, that he was able to send some people to help rearrange my thinking. Wow. Is, you know, predators, they just, nobody sinks any lower than they do. To tell you that an angel is going to come kill your mother, that's, I, 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 I'm speechless. I worked in prison apostolate for 25 years. I thought I'd heard it all, but that one, wow. YG, what possessed you to go into politics? Well, because of my, my upbringing and me not having anything and not having a voice, I really didn't want to go into politics because, um, I know how, how, how crazy it is, how corrupt it is. And when I, I was working in D.C. In, at the end of 2019 and 2020, and God said, hey, I want you to run for Congress. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, why in the world <laughs> would you want me to do that? <laughs> for, one, for one, I'm not a multimillionaire. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dude that came from the streets, man. Uh, and I did well for myself, but I wasn't a multimillionaire. I couldn't afford that. I'm like, you know, I, and I don't have connections in that world like that. And I honestly don't like taking money from corrupt people. So God, why you want me to run for, uh, for, for Congress? I mean, these people are awful. They're maddening. They take advantage of black people, of brown people, of blue collar people. They take advantage of average citizens who just want to have a better life. These people are cruel. They destroy small businesses. They destroy communities. They destroy veterans who, who, who tell the truth. Why do you want me to do that? He said, that's exactly why I want you to run for Congress. <laughs> to, to go against these people and fight these people and to speak my word and to give the message that it's America, it's time to return back home to God and instead of looking at things in emotions or opinions, to fall back for true believers, to fall back to what the scriptures say. Because the Bible talks about every single aspect of life and any political, uh, any political uh, events or activities or questions that we have, you can find the answers in the scriptures. And instead of voting with your emotion or voting for cult of personality, vote for your values and see exactly what the word of God says. And that's exactly what I did. And of course, the establishment on both sides didn't like it. Um, I put out that both Democrat and GOP establishment have been working cohesively together for a long time to hurt people. And, and I would tell the truth and empower the people and bring faith back into the conversation. And that's what I did. Uh, it was a rough ride, but I obeyed. Uh, we got a lot of things done, especially on the pro-life side, but uh, things are moving and the journey continues, brother. I, I love your approach to the whole thing. The, 
you know, you talk about the Democrats, a.k.a. the demonic Democrats, and the GOP, their minions, uh, or at least the the rhinos are their uh, minions. Mm -hmm. And you took everything away from them and instead gave God the stage. I, I admire that. So what's your future politically then? Well, um, I, I always said that uh, if God wanted me to run again, I would. Uh, right now, I'm focusing on the pro-life side uh, because, honestly, you know, both both parties have, have completely made a waste of this. And I'm going to explain to you why. Now, of course, <laughs> on the Democrat side, it's obvious. Uh, and I would challenge people, including, you know, white liberal women who would tell me I, I'm not a real black man because <laughs> I'm pro-life. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the greatest I have a black. In the world. <laughs> I have a black godson. They tell him uh, his black friends tell him the same thing. He's not a black man. Yeah, but. But, and, and this is why. And, and I challenge these, you know, because uh, these, these white liberal females wearing the Black Lives Matter shirts who are pro-choice. I said, you know, uh, half of my community since nineteen, you know, seventy-three on the Margaret Sanger's 100-year plan to eradicate the Black community, half my community has been killed into non-existence. I said, you got over 21 million of us dead, and there's only 40 million Black people in the country. Uh, that's half of my community. And by the year 2069, according to Margaret Sanger's time plan, that the Black community as we know it will be gone. So basically yep. what you're saying is that you wear a Black Lives Matter shirt, Miss White Liberal Female, and going to tell me as a black man, I cannot fight for the lives of my children, which two of my children, my twins, Howard and Hank, were killed through an abortion in 1999. You're telling me as a black father who seen half of my community dead within my lifetime, and by the time... I'm almost 100 years old. By the time Generation X dies, my community dies, you're telling me I'm not black enough to defend black lives, but yet you wear a Black Lives Matter shirt and you are advocating for the total destruction of my race. I said, how racist are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's, it's just like everything else on the left. They completely contradict themselves uh, all the time. And I guess if you think about it, in a way, Margaret Sanger gave us uh, reverse affirmative action. That's what she did. She gave us reverse affirmative action. Um, she was such an evil woman. I've read several books about her. She, wow. She, she wanted to completely eliminate your race. She wanted to completely do away with people whose IQ wasn't high enough. I mean, she just. Wow. But yeah, she, uh, wanted, she wanted okay. all the undesirables gone in her view. And uh, she was so bad that Hitler looked up to her. It's like anybody yeah. that Hitler is looking up to is not a good person. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, in fact, the United States finally had to tell her, come home or stay there. But, you know, you've got to decide, are you an American or a German? Talking about Margaret Sanger just makes my skin crawl. Uh, well, a lot of people, now, you know, they, they do a lot of vertically on the left, you know, um, and that's why I said it's very obvious on the left, you know, with with the with because it is very, very satanic and demonic. It is basically it's, it's child sacrifice. 
And, and then when I tell people, I say, how about this? Once again, get out of your emotions and your opinions. And if you say you believe in God, then let's look it up with the scriptures. And, and I say, everything is there. And a matter of fact, and I even brought this up to people from Psalms 106, 34 through 43, where God actually talks about Israel falling in and following the heathens that they were supposedly conquered. And yet they started picking up child sacrifice from, you know, from the heathens and how God punished the nation of Israel by being having their oppressors capture them because of the pain of child sacrifice and, and, and following the, the, the um, what they call the inventions of their enemies. And the inventions of our enemies is Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is that invention of a, a global multitude of child sacrifice, especially in the United States. Over 63 million American souls, black, white, Jew, Gentile, have been, have been sacrificed. And like I say, folks want to on the left want to talk about, oh, we love the black community, the black community, but you're advocating for the total destruction of my community. And then also, like I said, and also sometimes on the right, and the thing is you have people who come up with pro-life organizations, and unfortunately they're just like a lot of the charities, you know, just like how the Clinton Foundation did Haiti. They get a whole lot of money to come in, but yet the money does not go to where it needs to be. And some of these places, even on the right, are no better than Black Lives Matter, who took a lot of money and did not put that money where it needs to be. You know, these people are in positions for the wrong reasons. They're in positions for self-interest. And you have to call this stuff out. You know, you call it, you got to call a spade a spade. And so, but more, uh, more and more conservatives are starting to isolate these organizations, put them out of business and say, hey, we are not the left. We're going to stand for what God says. The money needs to go where it needs to be. And we need to be out here saving lives and pushing the word of God. That's exactly right. And I appreciate you saying that. Now you ran for your district in the primaries, but didn't make a pass primaries. Am I right? That is true. And the crazy thing is I ran in district seven in Georgia and they did some, uh, they did the re they did the re redistricting with the rezoning of the lines. And when they did that, uh, the district became majority minority. Unfortunately, a lot of my white conservative counterparts, they got out of the race or they went to other areas that they felt was more safer. And I said to the GOP in Georgia, I said, that's terrible optics because now that the district has become majority minority, which is, you know, black and Hispanic, I said, it looks real bad when the white, when the white GOP people leave, you know, I, and, and the only person left is the black guy, you know, so. The optics of that, when the Democrats say that the GOP is racist, you are giving credence to that by leaving. That's right. So they, you know, and you know, you're saying that these minority votes aren't worth your time. Okay, and you're just going to go back out to the country clubs. I said I understand all that, but the optics is terrible. So for eight months, I ran basically on my own in the community centers in the schools, in the churches, in people's houses, breaking bread with them, sometimes, you know, up to five to 10 to 12 families at a time in the house, talking about the issues. It did, You didn't have to agree with me politically because I'm running to be the public servant to represent you. I need to know what's going on in your community, what's going on in your neighborhood, what's going on in your school, what's going on in your church. 
Now let's figure out where it went wrong. And every time I talk to them, I say, who's been in command of the community for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And they all say, OK, well, the Democrats were. I said, well, it's time for new management now, because if you continue to allow them to have power and the only thing has happened is that you've made them very, very wealthy and powerful. But meanwhile, the community continues to suffer. Then it's time for new management. And now let me explain why you need new management and how we can fix these issues with CRT, how we can fix these issues with the economy, how we can fix these issues with inflation, how we can fix these issues with joblessness and about your nuclear family being destroyed and how the nuclear family is actually the key to your finances on actually coming up out of these particular situations. So, but knowing how politics works, because I would not capitulate to what some of these folks in the GOP wanted me to do. They wanted me to give up my faith, uh, stop, stop, stop talking about God so much. They wanted me to stop being pro-life, stop talking about being pro-life. It's a non-issue. We're not even going to think about that. And uh, let's just talk about everything else. I said, how are you going to tell me to stop talking about being pro-life when two of my children were killed through abortion, when half of my community is being killed? When 63 million Americans have been killed, how are you going to back away from that and tell me to stop? I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep going. So anyway, long story short, they put in four other people to primary me and put a million, put a lot of money behind these other people. And it is what it is. But like I said, the, uh, the, the fight continues and we're going to keep on going. And now I'm traveling around the country on the pro-life stuff and bringing, you know, bringing correction where needed, support where needed, resources where needed, and God knows what he's doing. I'm right where God wants me to be. I've lived under every president, obviously, since Eisenhower, and I think Donald Trump has been the best president in my lifetime. Amen. Did you have his endorsement? Well, he knew of me because of my godmother, Dr. Alveda King. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> Trump kind of stayed away from Georgia because of the rift he had with Brian Kemp, who was running for governor in Georgia. Uh, it's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of rhinos in Georgia. And yes, I, wish that, that I, I wish I could have got his endorsement, but I functioned with my campaign with it or not. I got, you know, I'm like, I'm going to focus on what God is telling me to do. Politics is very funny, especially on that level. Uh, you never know what's being said. You never know what's being done or why things are being done. But I tell anybody running for office, don't worry about what everybody else is saying and doing. Don't worry about endorsements. Don't worry about none of this stuff. Just focus on what God has told you to do. Help the people in your district, the people that you're supposed to be helping and let God work out the rest. And um I didn't get the endorsement, Amen. but like I said, um, I, I know his sons. We, we've done several events together. Uh, I've been around 45 a lot, you know, uh, still support him. I believe he is the best president that we've had, you know, for a long time, you know, especially once again, fighting off of what the Democrats say. I mean, the man brought in, he was trying to introduce the platinum plan that would have gave half a billion to a billion dollars to, to the to the black community. But before that, you know, with the first step act of releasing people wrongfully in prison 
by that 1994 crime bill that was sponsored by Joe Biden and the Clintons on putting black people in jail, you know, the three strikes law and putting a, and, and separating families, separating them uh, for the last 25 to 30 years. Trump put an end to that with the first step back. Uh, Trump gave millions of dollars to uh, historically black colleges and universities where they could be solvent mm-hmm. for over a decade. Under Obama, they had to go each year begging for scraps. Under Trump, he just wrote a big check and said, here you go, continue to educate and grow and do the things you need to do without limits. Um, he did a lot of things. I mean, we had the best economy. You know, the taxes were low. Small businesses was, was flourishing. Uh, people from all walks of life, whether you hated the man or not, life was much better under Trump. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and also and it was better also for the mainstream media who hates Trump because they made him the bad guy and they was able to make millions of dollars off of that. But then when Trump left, everything crashed, including the mainstream media. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely did. They I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but it's the kind of trouble I can handle. It's just listeners turning off the volume. But as I said, Donald Trump was the best president in my lifetime. However, if Ron DeSantis decides to run, I'm going to switch my support to him. And I'll tell you why Trump in all of his rallies talks about one nation under God. He talks about, talks a lot about God. Problem is it's hypocritical. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't do anything to make you think he even believes in God. Ron DeSantis, on the other hand, he's a devout Catholic and he governs according to his Catholic conscience. And the one thing that really sold me on DeSantis, uh, when he was elected governor the first time, he skipped his own inaugurational parade. His son, his youngest child had just been born. They were going to have his baptism that day. That's when they had his schedule, and they could have just as easily rescheduled the baptism, but he skipped his own parade to be there for his son's baptism. He didn't put the church second. He put it first. He didn't put his child second. He put his child first. He didn't put that parade over God. If that option comes available, I'm going for DeSantis this time. I'm sorry, I took over my own interview. <laughs> and it's an interesting dynamic there uh, because this this is the question right now, especially on the political right or with, with, with conservatives. And I've had this discussion with folks before. Uh, like I said, I've had the pleasure of meeting both both of these gentlemen. And DeSantis has done, let's just look at it you know, politically and as far as work. DeSantis has done an incredible job. In Florida, Florida is the bastion of everybody in the country now where you have people from California, people from New York, people as far as north as Cape Cod now are descending on Florida because of the freedom that's there. Uh, Lifestyle is there. Quality of life is there. And just the overall peace of Florida. It is very much flourishing. It is the, the golden stuff of the country right now now as far as what you talk about as far as faith based wise this is an issue that a lot of catholics or people of faith period whether it's catholic or protestant was having issues with trump is because yep he could stand up with a bible he could talk about some things but it's the application they did not see it 
come forth. Now, these aren't opinions. These are facts. This is observations right. of anybody who's listening to this now and getting mad. Like I said, get out of your emotions. Get out of your feelings. And let's look at this by scripture and by actions. It don't, we're not talking about cult of personality here. We are talking about faith and who is who has shown the faith. And I don't know DeSantis personally. And people say hey, it could be a ruse. He could be just, you know, placating to the audience. I said, I believe the man is honestly a man of faith and he's showing it. And to people where faith is important and if they want to make a decision as to Trump or DeSantis, that is going to make a major play here as somebody who's actually showing. And I think both men are fantastic. I think both men are uh, much, much better than what the Democrats can offer. But if it comes with faith, DeSantis is showing faith. So I would challenge anyone uh, who wants to make uh, this this choice, if it comes up, uh, if you have respect for both men, always go with faith and values. Who shows? Absolutely. Who shows you about the faith? Who lives the faith more in front of you with the actions, not the words, not cult of personality, but who's actually showing? And I think that makes things a little bit more easier for people to decide. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, YG. Uh, And in fact, I want to go back to talking about faith for a minute and leave politics. Boy, I can't believe I said I want to leave politics. (laughs) I'm a real political junkie. I was really impressed with your conversion story. And when I first heard it, it was on the vortex. So I know there's more to it. Is there anything else you'd like to share about that before we move on? Oh yeah. I mean, cause, uh, becoming Catholic, honestly, you know, that, that it was, it was two, two incidences of faith. One in 1992, when I was homeless, and I was reintroduced back to faith. And then uh, this is around 2015, I believe. Uh, I was uh, going about going through a, a divorce. Uh, me and my, my wife at the time was having some very, very hard, hard issues. It was it was very, very rocky. And I decided to go for a drive. And I was driving through this very prestigious neighborhood in North um, uh, North Georgia. And and it was this little two little girls selling some lemonade on the side of the street. One little girl runs into the street in front of my car and says, stop. And I slammed on the brakes and I said, young lady, are you crazy? <laughs> and she said, I'm me and my sister are selling lemonade and it's the best lemonade in the world. And you're going to buy a cup of lemonade for 25 cents. I said, if it can get that girl's going to be a CEO. She is, but I said, if this is going to get your little behind out of the street to safety, fine. Here's a quarter. Give me some lemonade. I drank the lemonade. It was so good, brother, that I turned around and I said, I want to buy another cup of lemonade, but I want to know who gave you this, 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 this gumption to get out here and make the sale. At that time, her father was jogging up the sidewalk, walking, jogging to us. I don't know these people from Adam. He says, these are my daughters. And I told him what happened. He invited me back to his home and we sit down and we start talking about fatherhood, faith, family, community, culture, all of it. And then he says, I want to invite you to some things. And by the way, I'm Catholic. Now, remember, (laughs) all the way up to this point, I have hated Catholics. Okay, but what happened to me as a kid 
even, even though I was a Baptist preacher going across the country with a national ministry, I still hated Catholics. I wanted to burn down every Catholic church I saw. That's how <laughs> I felt about it. But now I'm in the home of this Catholic gentleman who, let's be real, at that time you had um, Michael Brown case that was going, that had, Michael Brown had just been killed. And so you had Black Lives Matter all over the place, all over the country. Racist stuff, racism was popping all over the mainstream media. So you got this white Catholic guy inviting this six foot two, 300 plus pound black man <laughs> to his house. Don't know him from Adam, you know? <laughs> but he invited me in and we just started talking and he invited me to a lot of the events they had going on, To introduced me to a lot of the other Catholic brothers. Their children started, you know, meeting my kids and the kids started was going to school together and one thing led to another. And God says, I want you to become Catholic. And this is the reason why. He said, my church has been under attack for a long time. And instead of burning my church down from the outside, I want you to work and help heal the church from within, especially to all of the victims who've been sexually assaulted as children who are now adults and to help protect these kids from the predators within the church and when you find these predators, instead of them being moved from one parish to the next to get them out of there. And, and God Amen. said, I want you to be in my church. And that's why I became Catholic and I haven't looked back since, brother. And that is absolutely going to play to a question I have here a little bit later. But your conversion story, Pete, first of all, everyone loves a conversion story. Everyone does. And I want to tell you something, YG, our home health care aid that helps my wife and I with day-to-day -day living, she's not a Catholic. I'm working on it, but <laughs> she, uh, she listened to the vortex that you were on along with me. She said, I hate that kind of thing, but I couldn't quit listening to this guy. Well, she's 20 years old. My audience is 61% Catholic men between the ages of 18 and 34, which is, of course, the sweet spot in the demographic for a Catholic apostolate. And so I just, I knew after she said what she said, because she, she's 20 going on 35 and she's loaded with common sense, a lot more than me. <laughs> and so I just knew that I had to have you on this show to talk about our faith. And, uh, I really appreciate you doing that. I tell six pack warriors all the time that it takes three things to get to heaven, avoid sin, try your level best to become a saint and share the faith. Avoiding sin. Jesus talked about all throughout the gospel. Try your level best to become a saint right out of Matthew five forty eight, sermon on the Mount. Sharing the faith, that's right out of uh, the Great Commission. We're all obligated to do those three things. Now, I know you know this. You maybe have never articulated it, or at least publicly anyway. But uh, how would you explain that to other people, what I just said? These are the very fundamentals of life itself and to live life abundantly. Uh, and, I, and, I, and, I'll break, and I'll break it down like this, man. I'm like, look. 
we tend to choose to make choices for ourselves, once again, based on our emotions, our opinions, and how we feel. The road of emotions are fleeting. Emotions come and they go. Emotions betray you. Emotions will have you doing actions that you will regret for the rest of your life long after the emotion is gone. Opinions betray you because the older you get or the more experience you get, the more your opinion may change on things. But what's always lasting and forever is the word of God. And obedience is better than sacrifice. Obeying him would guarantee you a life more abundantly. It'll keep you out of unnecessary drama and headaches. And you will take that proverbial foot out of your backside more if you just <laughs> listen to our father. I'm just saying, it's just like, you just got to listen to dad. You know, we, we tend to think we know everything even uh, as adults, but it, it goes back to when we were kids, you know, when you, when your father sits you down and say, Hey, I done been there, done that. Uh, well, dad, the world is different now. Not so much. I'm telling you, but you get on out here, you go out here, the world going to kick your butt. And when you come back, we're going to have a different conversation and you have a greater appreciation and a lot of us are in hell right now because it's self-imposed hell. We choose Amen. not to follow the blueprint. We choose not to follow what you were saying. Okay. It's, it's hard to do at times, but it's even harder when you have to go through hell to get back to where you need to be. So how about we just follow the blueprint? Yes, it's harder. The road and path is narrower. But the rewards are so much better. The rewards are long lasting instead of short, fleeting and destructive. Absolutely. You, you mentioned uh, uh, your father told you when you come back, we'll have a different conversation. <laughs> when I was 16, I thought my father was the most ignorant human being on the face <laughs> of the planet. 20 years later, I was amazed how much smarter he was. The, uh, uh, I guess we've all heard that said one way or another about everyone. You know, I have seven adult children. Okay. And, um, and I told all of them the same thing that, you know, my parents would tell me and older, older people would tell me, you know, we'll get into it. You know, when they hit a certain age with well, dad, this, 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 that I'm like, all right, well, since you grown and you want to talk to me this way and this is that, you know, everything to go on out here in this world. I just pray for your safety. I pray that you don't make mistakes. That's going to end up hurting you too bad. But when you come back and talk to me, it's going to be a completely different conversation. And every child, and I'm going through this now with my 22 year old, um, you know, she, we, we had it, we had, we, uh, we had some issues and some words a few years ago, but just like her older siblings, you know, you have to learn the ways of the world. And when she comes back, we're going to have a different conversation, but it's up to us as the parents to continue to leave those doors open, just like God does for us, allow God to work on our children, allow God to work on us to bring the healing necessary that we have. So when the babies come back, because the words say the children will come back to their father, you know, teach them and lead them the right way and the babies will come back. So when they come back, we are ready to receive and we are in a better position of grace and humbleness to receive them back just like, you know, the prodigal son's dad did with him. So Amen. this thing works on both sides. You know, all of us are young and we leave because we know everything. 
and then we all have to return. And now that we're the adults and we're the parents, we got to have enough humbleness and grace and mercy to be a proper vessel. So when our children return, they don't regret it returning back. Amen. You know, being a dad never ends, does it? Never, brother. I, uh, <laughs> I had, I had four. You never quit being concerned. You never quit worrying over them. You never quit. The biggest problem most fathers of adult children have is learning how to bite their tongue. You know, that's because you got to let the kid make his own mistakes, but yeah, (laughs) I know what you mean. That's the hard part, right? Bite your tongue. Oh, I know. Yeah. I began evangelizing even when I was a catechumen, and that was nearly 35 years ago. I spent the first 25 years evangelizing non-Catholics to bring them into the church. Made over 200 converts and one-on-one face-to-face things. Uh, 84 of them are my godchildren. Wow. But 10 years ago, it occurred to me that Actually, it was God who about pounded it into my head, but I decided the evangelization had to shift. Now, so far as sharing the Catholic faith, then my question to you is, do you think the single group of people who most need evangelization in the world is Catholic and why? Well, one thing I've experienced and one thing I've been hearing everywhere I go, especially with dealing with the church, is that we need to evangelize. We need to get out there. We need to have more energy. Unfortunately, a lot of folks on the Catholic side of what has been told to me, not my words, but theirs, uh, old, stale, and boring. Um, No energy. Uh, Special cradle Catholics. Um, They've grown up with this. They've had it all of their life. They know nothing different. The reason why the convert has so much energy, fire and passion is because we did not grow up with this. And it's like, right. wow, it's, it's like the proverbial being homeless and having nothing to now all of a sudden you standing in front of a matching with 800 refrigerators full of food. I mean, it's like, wow, <laughs> you guys got this and you you guys are walking around. Well, you know, it's nothing to eat around here. I don't feel like eating that. It's like, are you stupid? Are you crazy? You know? <laughs> it's like, are you serious? Because they've had it all their lives. No disrespect to anyone, but that's how we as converts look at sometimes as cradle Catholics who've had the Eucharist all of their lives who've, who've had this, you know, you're able, especially being an old Baptist preacher, you know, there were so many holes that I had that I saw on the Protestant side of faith that the Protestants could not answer. And once again, no disrespect to anyone that's listening to this, who's Protestant, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Episcopalian, AME. I'm just honestly talking about my experience. But then when I started studying with Catholicism and going through uh, through the Nicene Council and, and, and seeing how the books of the Bible was being brought together, seeing the processes of the church and why things are the way they are. Then I understood those holes being filled. Now I could properly go out and evangelize and speak to Catholics and speak to Protestants about this faith, about why it's so important 
to answer certain questions that you couldn't get answers to as to why I converted and why this is so important, not just for politics, but for our very ways of life. Amen. You know, I'm going to share this briefly with you. God beat me over the head about beginning to evangelize Catholics. The survey results on Catholics is dismal, very dismal. And I waited until about 10 years ago to join the Knights of Columbus. Uh, I guess because no one had asked me. But then when I went in for my third degree, nobody told me what was going to happen or what to expect. Mm. And so I was amazed when I got in there and there were about 50 of us, uh, being elevated to third degree. And there were two of the leadership in the Knights of Columbus asking us basic catechetical questions with the exception of one other man. No one answered a single question correctly. Couldn't even tell you the mysteries of the rosary. Nothing. They they answered nothing. I was amazed by that. When we had the little bread breaking after the ceremonies, I wandered around the room listening to men and asking questions. And most of those guys thought they were being asked advanced questions. And they weren't the least bit embarrassed that they didn't know anything. And I thought, this is this is terrible. So I began sharing the faith with Catholics. I'll certainly share it with a non-Catholic. I'm, I'm all for making a uh, convert, but things are so bad in the church. I recently had an episode where I told people how they could save the church. Mm -hmm. If they will. And I want to, I want your feedback on this. See what you think. If they, my listeners, if they will learn the faith, the way they should learn it all, apply it, live it. If they will do that and then begin to share the faith with people of goodwill in the parish that in 10 years, the bishops wouldn't be able to get away with they, uh, with what they get away with. And the church would be completely revitalized. What do you think about that? YG? I think we should have started that five years ago. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to tell you why. I'm, I'm going to tell you why. This is why we really need to evangelize um, Catholics, especially the cradle Catholics has been in a long time, the old, stale, and old and boring, because I actually got into a debate with some California Catholics, um, and they were a part of this group that actually wanted to remove the name of Jesus Christ out of the church because it said uh, the church isn't inclusive enough to all of their non-Catholic uh, or Christian friends. And I said, what are you saying? They said, why, gee, we need to remove Jesus out of the church. I said, how are you going to evict Jesus out of his own house? Um, I said, are you Catholic? <laughs> they said, yes, we're Catholic. I said, are you sure? I said, because I said, that is idiocy. And it shows where the church is right now to the point where you have people who say they're Catholics are advocating for the removal of Jesus Christ from the faith in order to make other people feel more inclusive and to bring in culture. I said the faith soup is superior over culture. OK, culture should not determine the faith. 
faith should determine the culture. And and I said, you you guys are I, I said, you guys are really off your rockers, man. And then they would say, well, we know our, our priest agrees with it. I said, and this is what oh, the boy. problem is. Uh, even some of the priests need to really think about if they really want to be priests because they bring in a lot of this, this, this secular thinking. And if you're going to be just like I would tell any Protestant preacher of a mega church, if you're going to be the spiritual leader of this parish, of this house, then it is your job to be the shepherd and uphold the values of what the word of God says. Don't add from Amen. it. Don't take from it. You are the man, bro. You the man. So if you got people coming in there talking about we need to remove Christ from the church and you are silent or you are advocating for this, then you need to step down. You're not Catholic. So we need Catholics who need to be Catholic to be able to in a, in a, in a, in a, in a strong way to show what our faith is. And to bring in, like I said, you know, the others on converts, but to also re-energize the base that we have is over a billion of us. There's no reason in the world why California Catholics should be talking this nonsense. It's no reason. Wow. You are absolutely correct. Why, gee, I don't normally go this long in an interview. My interviews are usually about 30 minutes long, but I want to tell you, I've had a ball with this one. I've enjoyed you to no end. <laughs> So I want to wrap things up just by asking you one more question. I told you what my demographic is, and I've got nearly 100,000 listeners now. So with it in mind that you're talking to a big rally <laughs> and that you uh, know what the demographic is, is there anything you would like to say to these people so far as a personal message? Yes. And what I'm saying is you are the now. I'm not saying, oh, you're the future. No, you are the now. We need you Amen. right now. Now, I know in the past people have said, you know, this generation is this and that generation is that. What God is doing right now, he's sweeping across this country. Everyone can see that change is happening. Even the atheists are starting to see it. People who are not even in our faith are starting to feel it. What's happening now is going to get worse before it gets better. But what God needs is for his army to stand true. You can no longer have one foot in and one foot out. You have got to make that commitment to stand for our Lord right now because you are going to be the tip of the spear. You are going to be the leadership that people are going to flock to when the bottom falls out. Not if, but when the bottom falls out, Amen. they're going to be looking for the truth. They're going to be looking for you. So I want to encourage you to continue to stay in your word, study to show your own self-approval and be ready to stand the fire when it comes, knowing that our father is Amen. in full control. He will win. We know how the end of the book ends, but stand firm on your faith. Don't give up and be the man and woman of God that not only our church needs, not only our world needs, not only our people need, but be that person that you need. God bless you. Amen. Hey, oh, listen, 
I'm going to make an advanced invitation here. Will you please come back on this show sometime again in the near future? <laughs> oh, you better believe it, man. Uh, I, like I said, it's been a long time coming, man, and I've enjoyed myself to, 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 to all heaven, man. You know, just say God bless you. God bless, you know, your family. God bless your health. God bless all your listeners, man, because you are making a, a, a strong difference and we need your voice and we need your people. We need your followers and supporters, man. We need you guys now more than ever. Thank you, YG. I honestly wish we had an entire afternoon to just sit down and, and, uh, drink coffee and talk because I, during this interview, I have thought of a thousand ways, uh, or things that I wanted to discuss with you about the faith in particular. Um, you know, nobody talks to me for more than two or three minutes before the subject always turns to the faith anyway. So <laughs> I'm, I, I, I just live it. It's, it's part of me. Okay. YG, thank you very much for coming to speak to our six pack warriors. We deeply appreciate it. And I am going to hold you to the promise that you'll come back on the show. Most okay. definitely. God bless Six Pack. And if you want to get in contact with me, just go to YGforCongress.com. The congressional page is still up. That's the best way to get in contact with me. YG, two letters, F-O-R, forcongress.com. And it's uh, YG Nightstorm on all social media. God bless everybody. You heard that, Six Pack Warriors. That's an invitation. <laughs> okay, YG, God love you. We'll talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Are you a doctor, dentist, or other professional? Do you own a local business or e-commerce store? Do you have a website? Is your website compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act or ADA? If not, then you're open to a $50,000 fine from the government and lawsuits from slip and fall lawyers who want to clean out your bank account. One disabled man has thus far sued over 800 website owners. It's a legitimate scam for him and his lawyers because you can't win. If you get sued, the only thing you can do is settle. Local digital agencies charge $4,000 for minimum compliance that will protect you from fines and eleven dollars to $15,000 for full compliance that will keep you from being sued. Well, I've learned how to make websites ADA compliant, and I'll make six-pack warrior sites fully compliant for only $1,000 or $100 a month. Anyone else besides six-pack warriors will pay the going rate. Save yourself from fines and lawsuits, as well as support this apostolate, by clicking on the link in my show notes at cantankerouscatholic.com to reach out to me now. It's time for the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now here's Bishop Strickland and Joseph Pack, the Every Catholic Guy. Hello, Six Packers, and welcome back to the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. How are you today, Excellency? 
Good, Joe. How are you? Okay, I'm just just as fine as I can be. Fine as frog hairs, I think my mother used to say. Uh, listen, let's just dive right in. This first question is kind of long in its explanation or uh, uh, preface, but I think it's a great one. Mary asks, Pope Francis has approved restrictions on the traditional Latin mass in an effort to ensure that liturgical for reform is irreversible and the liturgical celebration, boy, I've got rented lips today, uh, that liturgical celebrations adhere to the changes made after the Second Vatican Council. It appears that several bishops in the U.S. are starting to eliminate the traditional Latin Mass in their parishes, and Cardinal Supich has taken it to the next step in his diocese and is no longer allowing Latin Masses to be celebrated by Institute of Christ the King. Other bishops are starting to do the same in their dioceses. I'm personally not aware of that, but I'm sure that's happening. I do know we have some problem in my diocese. Uh, my question is that the church has a beautiful, holy, and reverent celebration of the Novus Ordo Mass, which can be done with both the Latin in the Mass and the priest facing Ad Orientum. Both are completely allowed with liturgical changes implemented by Vatican II. I have only seen this Mass celebrated in the Latin, except for readings, gospel, and homily, at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville, Alabama. Why aren't the good bishops and priests implementing the Mass with the Latin and facing ad orientum? Well, I believe a lot are. Um, maybe not in the area where this person lives, but um, in... I guess it to me it really addresses the bigger question that I see, um, and I'm no expert in liturgy, but I believe deeply the the core of the mass is the Sacred Heart of Christ, the the body and blood, soul and divinity, and I think we always have to keep that reality in in the the clear focus. Everything about the mass is about Jesus Christ coming to us, body and blood, soul and divinity. There, what we're dealing with at this moment in history is a continuation of the confusion that occurred after Vatican II. And if, again, Joe, what I would encourage is we all go back and read what the documents say, specifically on the liturgy, because I think that a lot of where we are is a lot of confusion and a lot of departure from what the documents actually said. I think the best thing we can do is to keep going back. And I think that's somewhat what this uh, question really refers us to. If you read those documents, the document says, Vatican II says, Latin should be retained. Gregorian chant still adds pride of place. It really doesn't specifically address the orientum or ad orientum or versus pompulum. How does the priest face? It doesn't really, there are different arguments on that. The best I can see, it doesn't really say turn around. But so 
I think going back to those root documents is the best way. And to and that's what I've tried to do here in this diocese is to say, let's celebrate the Novus Ordo according to what the documents actually speak about. And I think the more we can do that, the more, I mean, it, it never says get rid of Latin. It says where appropriate, have the vernacular, but retaining the Latin. And I think we're still, I mean, it seems like a lifetime for me. It, it basically is 60 years since the council. But in terms of ecclesiastical history, that's just yesterday. And I think we're still in this turmoil of figuring out what this valid council, the Second Vatican Council, said about the liturgy. And probably a hundred years from now, they'll still be fine-tuning and, and reforming things. But I think going back to what did the council say? And some of frankly, some of the 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 documents of like the USCCB after that departed from and went down very specific paths that I think we need to reconsider, um, like placement of the tabernacle and those kinds of things that really, I mean, I think we can look back historically, a lot of the things of actual practice diminished the Eucharistic faith of the people. The, the reason we're in this place where so many Catholics are not so sure that it's the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ is I think they've been taught. They've, they've learned that the more casual approach, the, the less sacred approach, the less reverent approach has taught people, oh, this isn't any big deal. It's the biggest deal ever because the Son of God is there with us. And that's what we need to emphasize, whatever form the liturgy takes. So my answer is go back to the documents, all of us, not just the priests and the bishops, but all of us who believe and listen and read, what does this document actually say? And to encourage that we all sort of reset back to, you know, what did the document say? Certainly retaining Latin, it's there in black and white. Um, retaining a sacred approach, the, the use of Gregorian chant. Um, I think a lot of those elements can make the Novus Ordo very sacred and very Christ-focused, very God-focused, the way it should be, the way the liturgy is meant to be. Amen. Uh, I have a copy of the germ over here, the most recent edition. Oh, for those of you who don't know what germ means, that's general instruction of the Roman Missal. Uh, it's, ju it's just called germ for short. I've read the germ. I haven't studied it deeply. I, I'm embarrassed to say I simply haven't had time, but I do know how the mass is supposed to go. And I do know what I see when I attend mass, and those two different things. I have seen only one. I've only been present, uh, at masses of one priest who celebrates the mass exactly the way the germ calls for. And that's Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke. The germ does promote ad orientum. It does promote the Latin. In fact, Mary, what you described at Hansville, and I've always wanted to go there, by the way, 
But what you described at Hansville is exactly what the germ calls for. And I think it is important if you, you know, your question is, why aren't good bishops and priests doing this? Well, maybe it's up to you to make sure or try to get them to do so. Read and study the germ as well as what Vatican II had to say about the liturgy. And then talk to your bishop. Talk to him respectfully. I I don't know of a, I personally don't know of a bishop in this country who won't at least listen to you and give some weight to what you have to say if you know what you're talking about. You know, no bishop wants to waste time with uh, with silly emotional arguments. But if you've got the germ backing you up and you've got Vatican II backing you up, then he's going to listen. He's going to listen. Wouldn't you agree with that, Excellency? Yes. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to what, I hope we answered that for you well, Mary, that that's, to me, that's a real important question. Deb asks, why does the Catholic church only allow a marriage ceremony and not a mass to be said at the marriage of a Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic? This seems to give the impression to the non-Catholic that they're not welcome, not good enough. Well, um, a bishop can give permission for uh, a mass um, with a, a non-Catholic. Um, it's a different matter if they're not baptized, but um, uh, for a non-Catholic, that permission can be granted. I was I was unaware of that. I didn't know that. What I was taught, uh, Deb, is the reason is communion is distributed at mass obviously and obviously a non-catholic can't receive the holy eucharist and that was the explanation i was given when i was learning i didn't know a bishop could give permission for that yeah well we're in a very non-catholic and most of the weddings i've had are catholic and a non-catholic thankfully a lot of the non-catholics convert later but um yeah that that is and certainly, you know, the non-Catholic doesn't receive communion, but they can have a, a nuptial mass. Well, thank you. You gave me something to add to my repertoire. <laughs> uh, Anonymous asks, I have attended a not-so-local parish for a few years now. The pastor is a good priest. The Novus Ordo liturgy is done fairly reverently, and he has some good homilies. However, there are are a few things that occur during the offering of the Holy Mass that I question. One of them pertains to the creed during Sunday Mass. Is the priest allowed to use the Apostles' Creed, or must the Nicene Creed be used? Yeah, both are in the uh, Missal, and are both both are are can be used. I think they're, I, you know, I'd have to review specifically. There may be times when one or the other is specified, but both are in the missal and can be used for the profession of faith. But the the uh, I remember a few years back, uh, the the trend was for some to leave out the creed because oh it makes things longer. Or we don't need to do that every week. That's part of the mass is to profe the profession of faith 
on Sunday or other uh, days where it's specified. And, and that'll tell you in the Missal, the Creed is to be prayed at this Mass, as the same with the Gloria. All of that instruction, like you're saying with the germ, and even in the specific day that you're celebrating, um, the instructions are there, and we need to follow the instructions. Amen. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think in most places, the Apostles' Creed is used mostly for children's masses. Is that correct, Excellency? Um, I've seen that, but I, I, I don't see that necessarily as, I mean, I don't think that's specified anyway, right. anywhere. I guess it's a little shorter, so maybe that's it. Or, But um, I don't think that's uh, any kind of directive. But there's some, when the two options are there, then a pastor has the discretion to use whatever he thinks is most appropriate. Yeah, that, there are some options that priests have. Uh, for example, the sign of peace is an optional uh, part of the Mass, and I've seen a number of priests leave it out because of the abuses that uh, that the people have during the sign of peace, when, yeah. after all, Jesus is already on the altar. Uh, but So, yeah, there are a number of uh, legitimate options the uh, the priest has, and most certainly the Apostles' Creed is right in there with the Nicene Creed in the Missal. So, yeah. Uh, well, uh, Six-Pack Warriors, that's it for this week. Uh, Bishop Strickland, I think, has been spot on with everything. We appreciate his answers. Your Excellency, I guess we'll see you again next week. Okay, thanks, Joe. Okay, goodbye. You've heard my commercials about my bulletin insert program for parish priests to subscribe to so their parishioners can learn the Catholic faith. The only problem with this program is that the vast majority of priests either don't care about relieving their flock of their catechetical ignorance or they're too cowardly. Either way, these inserts do no good if they don't get into the hands of the people. Well, I've found a way to get each one into your hands. I've renamed these small articles Secrets of the Catholic Faith, and you can get one into your email inbox every week from Substack. It only costs $5 a month or $50 a year. Just click on the link in my show notes at cantankerouscatholic.com. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Conscience is a two-edged sword. On the one hand, our conscience condemns us for all we do that's sinful. On the other hand, it also condemns us for all the things we fail to do that we know we should have done. As I get closer to home, my way of saying I'm an old man, I'm becoming more and more aware of what it is to be guilty of having failed to do the things I knew I was supposed to do. 
I'm also becoming more and more aware of the horror of sin, mortal or venial. That said, and in light of the advancing moral decay of our culture and society, I feel obligated to talk to you like a Dutch uncle, or as one six-pack warrior calls me, Uncle Joe. The title of this piece, Do You Really Believe in God?, asks a very serious question. I really want to know the answer. Obviously, I can't learn the answer from all of you unless you email me. So I'm asking you to be honest with yourselves as you listen to this and answer the question, Do you believe in God? The first commandment says, I, the Lord, am your God. You shall have no other gods besides me. I think the vast majority of us would say that we do indeed only worship the one true God in heaven, existing in three persons. But among all of us who would say that, strictly speaking, it's not true. Not true at all. Do any of you sin? If the answer to that one is yes, then you do put other gods ahead of the triune God of the universe. You're guilty of worshiping other gods. That includes me. We're all endowed by God with a free will and sufficient intellect to make the right choices. These attributes of the human soul are reflections of God, so this is why we can legitimately say we're created in His image and likeness. So when we choose sin, and it doesn't matter how tiny that sin is, we choose that thing, thought, action, or whatever to displace God at that particular moment. In other words, like it or not, every time we sin, we're telling God that we prefer to worship something else over Him. Every sin has eternal implications. Why? Well, the one being offended by our sin is God, and He's eternal. So our offense against an infinite God is an infinite offense. Let's try to drive this home in a way that should make perfect sense to you. As the church has taught for 2,000 years, and all non-Catholic Christianity agrees, Jesus Christ is the second person of God. And as God, Jesus could see all human history, from the creation of man to the end of time, from his cross. Now let's picture a scene at the foot of the cross. We see Jesus hanging on the cross, naked and horribly wounded. We also see Mary, John the Apostle, and the other women mentioned in Scripture. We can hear the jeers of those who mock him. We can see the soldiers casting lots for his final piece of clothing at the foot of the cross. Jesus is already suffering immensely. But now imagine that you have decided to join in the festivities. You walk up to the cross and spit on him, throw rocks at him, curse him, beat him on his sacred body with a timber, and even throw animal dung on him. Joe, you must be insane. I'd never do that, you say. I'm not insane, though. You do that every time you commit a sin. You spit on him when you sin. You throw rocks at him when you sin. You curse him when you sin. You beat him with a timber when you sin. You go so far as to throw animal dung on him when you sin. What I've just said is absolute truth, an inconvenient truth, a truth none of us likes to hear, but a truth nonetheless. So here you go to Mass every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, yet you only go to confession once or twice a year. Maybe you're going more than that, but unless you're going weekly, you're not taking the damage you do to him very seriously. 
Of course, it's really very hard to hold most modern Catholics to blame for this. After all, few Catholics actually have a well-formed conscience. I'm not judging folks when I say this. I'm just going by the public evidence I see and hear. I hear people saying all the time how they do this or that and not even realize they're committing sin. If they did realize it, they wouldn't talk about what they do in public like it's all right. Of course, there are also public actions, and I see them from my fellow Catholics all the time. For example, it's one thing to see a man glance at a pretty girl walking by, but quite another to ogle her, often longingly. It doesn't matter whether he's married or not, he's giving plenty of evidence that he has no earthly idea what the church teaches about this under the sixth and ninth commandments. But who can blame him, at least to a certain extent? Every single week when I go to Mass, I see Catholic women dressed more like they're going to hang out at a bar than for Mass. I see women wearing clothes that expose cleavage, accentuate their figures, show too much flesh, wear makeup like the ladies in the red light district. I even see women wearing clothes that show off the fact that they're brawless. So not only are they committing mortal sin against the Sixth and Ninth Commandments, but they're also committing the additional mortal sin of scandal against the Fifth Commandment. Then I watch as they go to Holy Communion as if absolutely nothing about how they dress is wrong, throwing more animal dung on Jesus as they receive him in his real presence. Yeah, I know, I've heard all the justifications for why you men and women do the things I've talked about here. And that's just what they are, justifications. I've got news for you, though. Those justifications won't work when you stand before Almighty God for your particular judgment when you die. He will simply say, go to hell. He won't be using our vulgar vernacular, but rather handing down your eternal sentence. Don't fool yourself by thinking that you have all sorts of time, that you won't die anytime soon. My oldest son, a mere 37 years old and in seemingly perfect health, laid down to sleep one night and never woke up again. It can happen to any of us, and it will happen to all of us. You may not live to finish listening to this boot camp. I might not finish do it. You might want to sit down for this one. I'm going to stop asking you for gifts to support this show and begin asking you to help me get more listeners to the Cantankerous Catholic. It won't cost you anything except a few minutes of your time. The more reviews the Cantankerous Catholic gets, the more often it's displayed by the podcast aggregators when people are looking for new podcasts. Occasionally, this might cause the Cantankerous Catholic to get attention from podcast magazines the industry's trade magazine. So click on the link in my show notes that says rank and review the cantankerous Catholics so more Catholics can join us. Then write a short review. Doesn't cost you anything and it doesn't make me anything. It just gets more listeners for the cantankerous Catholic and makes the USCCB live it. That's a good thing. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote.
This week's Catholic quote is from St. Francis de Sales. He said, Let us run to Mary and, as her little children, cast ourselves into her arms with a perfect confidence. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A priest was teaching catechism to some boys and girls. He asked, Who made the angels? The children promptly and enthusiastically replied, God made the angels. The priest said, Very well then, who made the devils? There was silence in the room. It somehow didn't seem right to blame God for the evil spirits. Finally, a little girl raised her hand. Can you tell me who made the devils? The priest asked with a smile. Yes, said the little girl. God made the angels, but some of the angels made themselves devils. Some of the angels made themselves devils because they refused to obey God. They called down his punishment on themselves. Through their own free will, they sinned. When you commit mortal sin, you willingly run the risk of losing your soul in hell. It's not God's fault, but yours, if you make yourself a companion of the devil. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.